Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Today's second reading uh, comes from 2 Kings in the second chapter. And as you listen, I hope you'll notice all the details regarding power in which we tend to, which is something we tend to um, worship. In addition to God's power, notice the various trappings of worldly power, political power, military power, financial power, and healing power. And then we'll ponder how we navigate all of that in faith. This is Second, chapter, second Kings chapter five, beginning with the first verse. Naaman, Naaman, remember that name, Naaman commander of the army of the king of Aram was a great man and in high favor with his master the king because by Naaman the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. The girl said to her mistress, if only my lord Naaman were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of the leprosy. So Naaman went and told his master, the king, just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of garments. To the king of Israel, he brought the letter which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure someone of leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, Elisha sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Let this commander come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance to Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger to Naaman saying, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be made clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, the prophet would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus, the Farpar and the Abana better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went away in a rage. But Naaman's servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, 
would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? And so Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the fresh of a young, flesh of a young child, and he was clean. Now the reading usually stops right there, but the next few verses are what really intrigue me. Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before Elisha and said, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will accept nothing. Naaman urged him to accept, but Elisha refused. And then Naaman said, if not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Rimmon. When I do bow down, in the house of Rimmon. May the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. Elisha said to Naaman, go in peace. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wanted us to hear two excerpts from this saga because the biblical books we call 1 Kings and 2 Kings have more to do with God's prophets than with any king. 1 and 2 Kings, originally a single manuscript, cover 400 years from the glory of Solomon to the catastrophe of exile. Through it all, as kings keep misusing their worldly power, God's prophets keep focused on God and God's power, insisting that the people remember the covenant God made with them. In fact, this book heavily emphasizes the proper worship of the one true God, even telling of people condemned for worshiping false gods, which is why I find today's story so intriguing. That bit at the end, I think that's us. This was written 2,500 years ago, but it could be my story or your story because like Naaman, we all need healing and we seek it from sources we believe have power. The fact that you're here suggests you recognize God's power. And then once we experience some healing in our life, we want to respond to that power that makes us whole, but you can't repay God. And so we face Naaman's dilemma. As we go out to live a healed life, how do we navigate all the powers, the idols of the world? knowing that only God is to be worshiped. Or as Naaman put it to Elisha, when I bow down in the house of Rimmon, 
May the Lord pardon your servant. Given this book's emphasis on properly worshiping the one true God, you'd think Elisha would just smite Naaman right then and there, but that's not what happens. So let's look at the story again. It's often read simply as a healing story. Naaman has leprosy. His wife's servant, an Israelite girl, knows of Elisha and declares that this prophet can access God's healing power. Naaman reports that to his king who says, good, go, get it done. I'll send along a letter, you know, king to king, just to make sure they treat you right. And so Naaman heads out with that letter, plus about 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and a bunch of designer clothing. Naaman delivers the king's letter, which clearly assumes that all power resides with kings, but Israel's king certainly has no power over leprosy and he gets all terribly upset. So Naaman is summoned to God's prophet and Naaman rolls up to Elisha's door with chariots and horses like Pharaoh's finest and Elisha simply sends out a message, a simple prescription, go bathe in the River Jordan. And so now it's Naaman who's terribly upset, petulantly protesting that his trappings of power must be duly honored by a display of Elisha's trappings of power. This part of the story (laughs) reminds me of my colleague, Greg. Greg pastored a church whose congregational workday ended up occurring the day after his denomination had made the news. And so a reporter and a photographer showed up at the church's office to get a statement from Greg. And the office administrator, always looking out for the pastor's time, said, "Um, uh, I'm afraid he's not available right now. Uh, Could I have him call you, please? And the reporter, who's trained in getting around such deflection, says, no, I'll wait. So they sit down, and soon a couple of people working nearby come up and say, hi, we're with the deacons. Could we be of some help to you? And the reporter politely repeats, no, I'd like to speak with the pastor. And so the two deacons hustle off to find Greg, and they do, and they explain the situation, and Greg says, I'm on my way. And so here comes Greg, walking down the hall, dusting off his hands on his work jeans. Hi, I'm the pastor here. And the reporter takes one look at him and says, yeah, right, and turns on the heel and leaves. The photographer elaborates by saying, no pastor would talk to the press while dressed like that, and also leaves. And at this moment, Greg makes the gesture of, it's a congregational work day. And in doing so, he looks down and sees his T-shirt that he decided to wear that day, the t-shirt that reads, Presbyterians do it decently and in order. (laughs) Ah, sorry. (laughs) And um, so I think that that is essentially what happens with um, Naaman. Just as the news team had walked out because they were looking for someone who prioritized the trappings of worldly power the same way they did, Naaman is looking for someone who prioritizes worldly power as he does. For me, this prophet should have come out and called on his God and waved his hand over the leprosy. 
Jordan River. <laughs> Aren't the rivers of my nation better than all others? <laughs> but his servants, who have no power, but who see his folly, muster the courage to speak truth to power. Um, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? And so Naaman went down and immersed himself in the Jordan River, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored and he was clean. And with that healing, the reading usually ends. Or sometimes the story is continued into the next verse. Then Naaman returned to the man of God and stood before Elisha and said, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. And so the healing story becomes a conversion story. Now I would never minimize healing or conversion. I have prayed that God would grant miraculous healing and I have prayed that God would move in people's lives to convert them to godly action. Still, what mesmerizes me in this text is what happens after this pair of transformations. What fascinates me is when this healing and conversion story becomes a story about maintaining faith even while wrestling with compromise. That's why I think this is our story. We experience glints of healing, sparks of conversion, and then in the wake of those bright shining experiences, we face the daily dilemma of living our faith in a world that wants us to focus on lesser things, that wants us to worship worldly powers. Here's how it happens for Naaman. First, he tries that favorite move of people steeped in earthly power. He goes for quid pro quo. Elisha, you have healed my body and transformed my soul. I should give you something. Elisha knows there is no repaying God's grace. There's only living a changed life. So Elisha refuses. And then comes the moment that rivets me. Naaman, thus stymied, unable to use his worldly power. Naaman, mighty warrior, favored by kings. Naaman surrenders, leans into God's power, and asks for grace. He begins, here's the thing, Elisha, I, I want to take home with me, say, two mule loads of Israel's dirt so that I, when I'm far from here, can create my own patch of Israel where I may worship the one true God. Now considering what sticklers Israel's prophets were about proper worship, this is a dicey request. But then comes what is, within the rubric of Second Kings, the biggest ask of all. May the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon, I now know that Rimmon is a false god, a mere idol, no god at all. But when my master, you know, the king, 
goes to worship there. He'll be holding on to my arm, so when he bows down, there is no way I cannot bow down also. And so when I do bow down to the idol that is Rimen, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. You can hear Naaman's anxiety as he articulates this dilemma, and small wonder. Elijah had slain people for worshiping a false god akin to Rimmon. But Elisha says to Naaman, go in peace. Do you feel the tension here? Naaman knows the healing power of God, as do we. And Naaman knows the demands of his job, his culture, his daily life, as do we. So as he prepares to return to those everyday contexts where God's power is not the power that is bowed down to, he asks for God's grace. Not so he can forget what he's learned, not so he can blow off the transformation God has effected in his life, but so he can be fortified by God's grace even as he navigates the world with all its ethical pitfalls. And from God's prophet comes the blessed benediction, go in peace. I find in that some peace for all of us. Like Naaman, we know what is called for from people of faith, and we want to do what's faithful, but our whole world feels like the house of Rimmon. Worldly power, perpetrated by bigots and cowards, by Johnny Depp and Vladimir Putin, by a president, a mob, by legislators, by a court. Worldly power, which is itself an idol, is having a field day and all the false gods of our modern culture, money, stuff, convenience, youth, fame, and especially in our nation, guns. These idols are waiting for us to bow to them. Every day, we, like Naaman, must navigate this booby-trapped reality with our own imperfect faith. And God's grace is so great that God does not smite us. We know there is no repaying such grace. There's only living a changed life. That's what we are to do. Amid idolatrous powers that want us to think they matter, We can acknowledge God's power to heal and transform every life. We can live out our gratitude for all that God provides, including God's gracious pardon of the compromises we make as we struggle to be faithful in our own version of Naaman's dilemma. It isn't easy. God knows. So go in peace. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.